This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. And if you've heard me talk about Grammy, you know that she means the world to me. I wanted a dog for probably 10 years and I was living in an apartment, couldn't have dogs. When I finally moved somewhere else, I adopted her within weeks and it was love at first scritch. She's about two feet away from me as I record this. She hangs out in the studio and all I want to do is smooch her and look at her and stare at her. I also like feeding her because I see how happy it makes her. And there's nothing like watching her lick her chops after having yummy stuff like Grammy's pot pie or real Texas beef and sweet potato, which are two recipes she's been enjoying for America. As her parent, I like that they use deboned meat and fish or poultry as the number one ingredient. I also like that they have these real ingredients and you can see them on the bag so you know what's in each one. And watching her do a little dance, especially with a Grammy's pot pie recipe, brings too much joy to my heart. Is there such a thing as too much joy? I'm not sure. But check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Oh, hey, it's yesterday's coffee that's now today's iced coffee. Allie Ward back with a tender, sloppy, heartfelt episode of Ologies. Oh, kissing. Oh, smooching. Sucking face. Who? Why? For how long? How? That's right, this week, we're going to go all the way to first base. But before we toss any balls, let's say some thank yous to all the folks at patreon.com slash ologies for supporting the show since literally day one, for being our backbone, and also for all the folks wearing your ologies hats and backpacks and shirts and drinking cold coffee out of ologies mugs, and for all the folks who tell friends and tweet and gram about the podcast and hit subscribe, give it a rating on iTunes, keeping it up in the charts, and especially y'all who review, you know I creep them like a crush each week. I read you a fresh one, such as this one from Old Zeb 22 who says, This is the podcast I suggest to my friends and family more than any other. Dad Ward is the fun-loving, foul-mouthed, bat-defending, nerdy friend your mother warned you about, who also casually mentions that she has several dead birds in her freezer, which I hope she's using for good and not to do some terrible prank on a neighbor. Keep up the great work. Stay safe. Keep them coming. I would never waste dead birds like that. But thank you, Old Zeb. I appreciate it. Thank you to everyone who's spreading the show around via word of mouth. Speaking of mouths, let's jump right into them. Philematology. It's a real word. It's the study of kissing. It comes from philema, meaning a kiss in the Greek tongue. And as soon as I saw this word years ago, I just longed to probe the topic. So I searched scientific journals just for the word kissing. And then I found several studies done by a professor and an anthropologist at Oxford in the UK. Hot diggity boy howdy. This dude was legit. He got a bachelor's and a master's in psychology and philosophy from Oxford University, a PhD in psychology on the social dynamics of gelata baboons. He's a professor of evolutionary psychology at the University of Oxford. He's been an author on over 400 articles in scientific journals, including such hits like What's in a Kiss? The Effect of Romantic Kissing on Mate Desirability, and Examining the Possible Functions of Kissing in Romantic Relationships. And if you've ever heard the notion that humans can only have about 150 stable friendships, that's all him. It's called Dunbar's number. He explained it casually as, quote, the number of people you would not feel embarrassed about joining uninvited for a drink if you happen to bump into them in a bar. 
Oh, I wanted to be one of his 150 and interview him so much. So I emailed him and he wrote back saying no, but more politely, a quick two sentence rejection. I'm afraid I'm just too tied up with other commitments at the moment. My apologies. So I wrote back with literally a pretty please in the subject line. He wrote back a shimmering letter, just said, yes, fine by me. I literally gasped. I screamed when I got it. So we hopped on to Skype to record. And in remote calls, we speak via Skype, but I have the ologists record into their voice memos on their phone, and then we cut them together for better sound quality. It's just a little pro trick I learned from the illusionists, Helen Zaltzman. But we had some difficulty. I can maybe just record you straight from my speakers and... We will worry about it in post. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> but we gave it a good try. I was terrified already of this interview. So much at stake. Such a well-regarded dude. Will I botch it? How does the rest of it go? Or do we bond immediately and have a jolly time talking about smooches and first kisses and why people kiss and the microbiome and social relationships, kissing in other animals, why we fall in love with some people and not others, the notion of soulmates, and doing research in nightclubs. So swipe on some lip balm, pucker your ears for the wit and the wisdom of anthropologist, scholar, and gentleman, Oxford philematologist, Dr. Robin Ian McDonald Dunbar. Let's do it. Okay, good. Okay. First off, hi. Thanks for being here. <laughs> um, and this, My pleasure. This is all edited, so don't worry. We'll cut out anything, anything You'll techie. will cut out anything sensible and leave the rubbish there. Yes, exactly. Only the rubbish. That's what we're going for. Um, and so now, I'm not sure if this is a word that gets used often, um, but you are a philematologist. Would that be correct? A person who studies kissing? Well, <laughs> I wouldn't have said that quite, but it's a, I've never heard the word before. It's a real word. It's an actual word, a philematologist. Yeah, philematology okay. is the study well. of kissing. And I don't know if you know this, but you are one of the world experts in it. Literally, I've been looking for an expert in this to do this ology for like years. And you're, you're the dude. We, we have done a little bit, but it's a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of what, what we spend our lives really doing. Honest, Gov. Mm -hmm. Or Milud, as, as they say in, in criminal courts to the judge. <laughs> it wasn't me, Milud. I didn't do it. Again, over 400 papers authored, written or edited more than 20 books, including Thinking Big, How the Evolution of Social Life Changed the Human Mind, The Science of Love, and the science of love and betrayal. Oh, the British. They all have honorary doctorates in self-deprecation. Well, you've done it more than anyone else, so I'm going to ask you okay. what you know about it. So, and you are, you're an author, you're an evolutionary biologist, you're um, an anthropologist, you're, you have so many credits. Um, how did you get interested in science and interested in behavior? Um... I guess in a way, this sort of, as much as anything, goes back to the fact that I grew up in, in East Africa, and so you're kind of immersed in uh, many different cultures there. And, and in the end, it kind of drew me off into 
initially psychology and then then I ended up studying primates mm -hmm. in Africa again, but uh, mon monkeys uh, mainly and um, spending an awful lot of time studying them before I, 20 years or so later, ended up back again studying humans properly for the first time. Was it at all... Um a relief to start studying the behavior of humans because you could ask them questions or was it just more complicated? No, it was, it was complete desperation <laughs> because, because uh, I would have carried on studying uh, monkeys and antelope, which we'd been studying as well, um, but there was no funding available for anything like that in Britain during the 1980s. And... Um, I ended up studying humans because they were there on the street and you could do a lot of, a lot of the kind of things. You could ask the same kinds of questions we'd been asking about, uh, primate behavior. You could ask of humans too, you know, why did they choose this person to mate with? Why did they, you know, why did they invest in their children in the way they do all these kind of questions we, we ask of, of monkeys and apes when we study them, you can kind of do it on the street. <laughs> and uh, I get, it was free. You didn't need a, a, a big grant to do it. And um, people, you know, you could ask them questions because, you know, they obviously were people. And you could give them survey questions to fill in as well, so, as well as observe them. And what led you to want to study social relationships? Because you... You're known for the Dunbar number. You're known for you have a book, The Science of Love. Like, what is it about social relationships? I know nothing about love. <laughs> you got to know something if you're a scientist I, about I'm it. I'm a boy. <laughs> you're not. You you were a world expert in this. I mean, I guess that that must put a lot of pressure on you in relationships if you are an expert in them. Tell me about it. <laughs> All right, his Wikipedia page notes that he's been married at least once, but we were only a few minutes in. It was too early to pry, but he's charming and affable. I imagine that plus his research history, I bet that's a hit in social situations. Okay, so yes, I, I suppose all the way through ever since I first studied anything in the wild, even before I started my PhD, um, what I was interested in was social evolution. How do different society, different animal societies, you know, come to be? And why did one species have one kind of society and other species have another kind of society? So that's a kind of rather a big question because you have to study practically everything about them, their ecology, their genetics, their evolutionary history and so on. And then that, that transfers very easily across to humans because obviously different cultures uh, have different uh, societies. You know, their culture is their society, if you like. And you know, you can, you can ask meaningful questions about why one group of living in one area has gone down one particular road and has the kind of you know, they're, perhaps they're uh, polygamists, and another group living somewhere else are monogamists. Or those kind of questions. Mm -hmm. Now, you studied monkeys and you studied apes, including humans. Do other animals kiss on the mouth? Yeah, actually, some of the other mammals, in fact, do. I mean, it's not really common mm -hmm. in the way it is in humans, um, or even to some extent the way it happens in some of the monkeys and apes, where they kind of do a kind of 
lip-to-lip kissing, and particularly with babies, I think. You know, mother monkeys mouth their babies often and frequently, and then, you know, in some species, they will feed them tidbits that they've been eating, you know, mouth-to-mouth, as it were. So you can kind of see where kissing came from, if you like. It's easy to see, but, I mean, nobody does this stuff uh, to the quantity and quality of humans. I want to kiss you just once. Mm-hmm. Why do you think humans slobber on each other? <laughs> I, this is almost the, the big evolutionary question that remains unanswered. <laughs> it's not all clear. There are various suggestions one can make. Um, one is it's clearly very kind of erotic, if you like. It's very arousing. And the lips have a lot of uh, brain tissue devoted to them. Sensory brain tissue is devoted to to the lips, you know, disproportionately so. Put it this way, monkeys and apes are very tactile. Um, they do a lot of uh, cuddling and stroking and, if you like, petting, all those kind of things we do. Uh, and, and a lot of this sort of social grooming and, and social grooming triggers the release of, of endorphins in the brain, which kind of make you feel very relaxed and uh, happy, contented with the world. You know, it's very 1960s hippie-ish. You know. <laughs> Endless sun, chill vibes, hot bodies. <laughs> <laughs> the world is a beautiful place um, and very trusting of the person you're doing this with or who's doing it to um, and, and, and these involve a, a very special set of neurons which only respond to light, slow stroking of the skin. And we have those neurons too. They're known as the, the C-tactile neurons. Um, they don't do anything else. Uh, they're not involved in pain or anything, you know, sensing pain or anything like that. We respond exactly the same way. So that's why in our closer relationships, we're very tactile, you know, it's an awful lot of cuddling and petting and, you know, and I don't mean this in a, in a kind of social context. I mean, just, you know, when you're talking to your good friends, you know, there's the tap on the shoulder and the arm around the shoulder and all this kind of thing that goes on. Um, you know, we're, we're very tactile in that sense, even though we don't really think about it. But on the other hand, it's the, because it's a very intimate thing, as it is in monkeys and apes, you don't do it with everybody. Mm-hmm. This is why... You know, when you're caught in a, a crowded lift, you feel very uncomfortable because there are all these people, you know, in, in very close physical contact with you. And normally you'd only allow your nearest and dearest, mm-hmm. you know, family and friends to be in that close physical contact to you. Mm-hmm. So we're very ambivalent about it for the very reason that touch is very kind of you know, indicative of both close relationships and also spilling over from that, you know, quickly gets exploited in courtship and sexual relationships between partners, right? So the, the, the lips clearly play a, a major um, role in that. That said, uh, one of the other things that happens um, uh, during kissing in particular is the exchange of huge quantities of um, uh, bacteria. Right. (laughs) (laughs) A 10-minute kiss, uh, 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 I forget the exact amount, but it it results in the exchange of something like 10 million uh, bacteria from one body to the next. 
So a 2014 study out of Amsterdam revealed that one 10-second French kiss can transfer 80 million microbes into your partner's mouth. That is the entire population of New York City cramming into your mouth every second of a kiss. That's love, baby. If he was interested in me, he'd want my germs. He'd just crave my germs. Oh, no. Now, um, this is quite useful because actually it tells an awful lot about the other person. So we've both got bacteria, the microbiotic sort of elements from the from the other person being exchanged. But also you're getting a lot of their, in the saliva and stuff, a lot of the enzymes and other bits and pieces that the body produces, and particularly immune systems. So your your personal smell, um, I hate to raise this, this uh, <laughs> tricky issue at this, this juncture, but your personal smell and taste are directly determined by the same genes, same set of genes that determine your immune system. Really? So we're using our tongues and our snoots to gather intimate intel about a person's immune system. You thought Google was sneaky. Whew, the nose is sneakier. So is the tongue. And now Dr. Dunbar addresses some Western flimflam about different greetings, such as the Kunik greeting of Inuit folks and the Maori greeting, the Hangi, among others. Uh, it's a complete myth that they're rubbing noses. What you do is you put your nose side by side or just in front of somebody else's nose and you breathe in slowly and deeply. Mm -hmm. And as the Maoris put it, this is you're breathing in their spirit, right? So you're actually breathing in their smell. Uh, and by the same extension, when you kiss folk, you're, you're tasting their uh, same, same immune system. You're actually checking out who they are and whether you like them or not. And the people you like tend to be people who have a different set of immune genes to the ones that you have. Right? Nor normally when you choose some, a mate, a romantic partner, you choose somebody who's kind of ticks as many boxes as possible for similarity to you, looks like you and feels like you, as it were, because what you're trying to do is is to find the same set of genes. Mm -hmm. So you don't lose these beautiful genes that you can, you, you've been handed on by your parent. What a lot of species do is spend a lot of effort and time looking for people who have similar, not identical, but very similar genes to them. So that means they're kind of bringing that same family set back together again, except for immune system genes, because what ideally you want in your uh, beautiful bouncing babies is as broad a set of immunities as possible. So if you pick the same ones, you know, they're only kind of acquiring immunities to half the number of uh, diseases and bacteria and stuff that's possible. Whereas if you pick sort of somebody who's really quite different, uh, you're giving them a much better chance in life. So. so if someone rejects you, not you necessarily, but just if someone rejects a person, it might just be that your immune systems are too similar. Can you take that? Yes. <laughs> Is that a, like a way to take heartbreak and stride? Yes, yes. They're family. They're family. <laughs> As a, has any of this research that you've done, have, is it difficult not to apply it to your own life, the lives of people that you know? Oh, I think if you work on human behavior, you, you just inevitably spend most of your time sitting at the back of the pub 
watching people. Really? Right? It's really difficult not to do that. Um, and it's such fun, you know, you just see, and even, you know, I mean, it's amazing. If you read something like Jane Austen's book, she is such an acute observer of human behavior. It is unbelievable, you know, considering she was writing uh, from a very narrow uh, social background, you know, whatever it was, nearly 300 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, her observations of the foibles of human behavior, particularly in the mating arena, are just electric. (laughs) And this is what makes the films, that you know, the kind of costume dramas that Mm -hmm. they do of her novels so successful. You know, they're just such acute observations on, you know, the, the, the little things that bother people about relationships. She was an anthropologist, I guess. I, she has to rank as, before anybody even thought of the name anthropology, uh, she has to rank as the, 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 the founding mother. I may have lost my heart, but not my self-control. And now, if you're in the pub and you see people on a date, can you tell by the way they kiss whether or not they've got fireworks? Or if you're watching, like, Love Island or something. I would give it an 8 out of 10. Strong kiss. It's very wet and voluptuous. Oh, God, not that. (laughs) Or The Bachelor. Um, um, Yes and no. I think it's probably hard to tell. I mean, there are... I mean, this is... I mean, it actually is really very hard to tell because um, in many ways the two sexes behave quite differently um, in those sort of contexts. So women are much more attentive uh, when, when they're meeting, even just meeting a, a boy for the first time. And this causes a lot of problems, I think, for boys, because boys are not that great in terms of social skills. <laughs> really? So really? misinterpret. Okay. <laughs> signals the girls are going, girl, girls kind of have this way of being very attentive to you and, and you know, sort of uh, uh, paying close attention when they're not really interested. <laughs> Straight, cis, non-binary, LGBTQ, if you have ever been on a date and thought, wow, that one amazing, and then they ghost you, well, this might be because one never knows how an ego is going to take rejection in real time. So to play it safe, you might just pretend to be interested. And also, more romantically and optimistically, Dr. Dunbar explains... You know, when you first meet somebody, you kind of don't know really whether they're the right person or not. So the last thing you want to do is kind of put them off. You want to kind of keep them interested a bit uh, or keep them interested long enough that you can assess their inner self, as it were, and and, and figure out whether they're the, the, the right person for you or not. Do they see the world the way you do? Do they have the same kind of moral and political views as you? Do they have the same interests? Do they like the same music? Do they have the same sense of humor? All these kind of boxes that you would like to have ticked. And it takes a long time to, to, to find out all these details. So you need to invest quite a lot of time. Turns out that the more boxes uh, you have ticked of that kind, the longer the relationship will last. Really? So you want to, yeah. You do want to make sure, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't want to take a complete duffer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't want to, I don't know what that means. <laughs> 
Yeah, I looked it up. And Duffer is an incompetent or stupid person. And I'm not British, but I don't think that's a compliment or a box you want to check in your dream date. So you, you need to check check out this person mm-hmm. uh, and make sure that, that, that they do te- check, uh, tick your boxes for you, um, or at least as much as possible, because there's no Mr. Right or Miss Right. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, no such thing as perfection. Well, no, okay. Maybe there is somewhere, but they're sort of somewhere in the, I don't know, how many, how many of us are, are there on the planet now? Seven billion or something? Yeah. So that makes uh, three and a half billion of each sex. So somewhere in, in that three and a half billion, there is Mr. or Miss Wright. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it, you, you, you it, you're never going to find them. You know, it's, that's many lifetimes of searching. <laughs> oh, God, this is like a Morrissey song. <laughs> yeah. Like so, romantic, but incredibly depressing. <laughs> so what you do is you do exactly as Jane Austen says, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you, we're, we're all there look, looking for Mr. Darcy uh, because, you know, he has the chiseled features and, and you know, the cultured family background and the big estate mm-hmm. um, and all that kind of thing. But only one person's going to get Mr. Darcy, right? So what do the rest of you do? Uh, the rest of the rest of us have to settle for the curate. The, the great problem is, you know, all of us in the end settle for a compromise because otherwise you will never find anybody. You, know? mm-hmm. you, you will always be rejecting them as not quite matching up to your um, levels of perfection. Mm-hmm. And if you accept a kind of compromise, there's always a risk that it's kind of not going to work as well as you'd hope. So that's life. Yeah. But what about our early evaluations can help lead us toward a partner who's right for us? Can we tell from making out with someone whether or not like this could be long term? I think so, but this is the end product of a long process of courtship, in effect. In other words, if you look at what happens during courtship, normally it sort of breaks down into a series of stages, and at each stage you kind of explore the qualities of, of the person before you, and then you just you just hold off a moment and go, should I pull out here or should I go to the next level? Right. Right. Now, those levels tend to start with distance cues, so vision. So, do they do they look pretty or do they look handsome according to uh, the respective sexes? Mm -hmm. They, you know, are they attractive? Um, And then it moves into a sort of um, kind of conversational mode, I think, where you're you're now close enough to talk to them, so you you now picking up on all the cultural. Uh, boxes, what I call the seven pillars of friendship. There are seven dimensions, which are a bit like a supermarket barcode on your forehead. Uh-huh. Like a, <laughs> a verbal supermarket barcode. They're all the things you like and dislike and, you know, the, the, yeah, the, the languages you speak and all these kind of things that make up this complex of cultural elements that, you know, tick your boxes or don't tick your boxes according to your, your personal interests. Okay, quick aside, I looked up Dr. Dunbar's seven pillars of friendship, and essentially, things that make us bond with others are, one, growing up in the same place, especially during the core teenage years, two, speaking the same language, three, having the same education, four, enjoying the same type of hobbies, 
Five, sharing the same moral or political point of view. Six, having a similar sense of humor. And seven, sharing the same musical taste, just in case you need some metrics by which you can judge strangers before you sniff them. Um, and, but having decided that, that you know, they, they, they meet most of your requirements at that point, you kind of move into um, uh, a bit closer, uh, which is why kind of um, old-fashioned uh, dancing was very suitable because, you know, when you sort of couple dancing, waltzing and all this kind of thing, you're now into breathing territory and you can have a good sniff. I smell nice. And uh, check the, the, the um, immune system uh, from a little distance, but, mm -hmm. you know, close enough. And here's the interesting thing. I mean, you know, we, we often think of uh, perfumes as, as sort of designed to obscure all the horrible bodily smells that you have. And in fact, it's actually quite the reverse. Really? Right? Yeah. The, the perfumes you like, they're very, very, very personal to you. They actually are the ones closest matched to your own person natural bodily smell so what you're doing is enhancing your natural bodily <laughs> so if you tend to gravitate toward fruity ones or um musky ones that's more an amplification yeah. of your own scent yes. <gasps> yes yes so that's 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 your own natural body odor not the kind of sweaty yeah sweaty armpits yeah. odor uh, <laughs> You probably do want to cover up but, right. but your sort of natural scent. And that's why there are so many different scents. And this is why you know, I, I try and tell guys you should never buy a girl perfume, you know. You'll get it wrong Yeah, because you'll buy the one you like and it may not be the one that she likes because it doesn't match her natural um a natural body scent. So. Yeah. Anyway, so then, and then, you know, once you've, Kind of gone to that point, you you know. At the next point, you're you're um, uh, can try a little kissing. I think is the answer because that gives you another uh, uh, sort of look into uh, peer into their soul uh, in a sort of uh, taste sort of way. Or taste and and smell are kind of really one and the same thing mm -hmm. in the end. Um, you know, and if you're happy with that, then you know, take the brakes off. But, Take the brakes off. <laughs> That's like a, that should be someone's Tinder bio. Um, <laughs> now, how are you studying this? Are you behind one-way glass with a clipboard and getting people drunk? Are you having people fill out surveys? Like, how do you study this? Uh, everything we've done, by and large, on kissing anyway, has been um, by surveys or offering people vignettes. Mm -hmm. Little vignettes. You know, here's... I don't know, here's Jim, and a little bit about Jim and how good a kisser he is. And here's Fred, and a little bit about Fred, and which do you prefer, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but this is sort of backed off a lot of work we did on make choice strategies, which were done by looking at Lonely Hearts ads in the days before Tinder arrived, mm -hmm. uh, where people kind of, you know, in those old uh, newspaper ads where you would say, you know, uh, a little bit about yourself and a little bit about who you're looking for. Mm -hmm. um, they were very, very nice little summaries of what people actually had in mind. And sometimes also how they carefully didn't say things which they thought might be unhelpful. 
such as? Um, where they lived, if it was kind of down market. So mm. if you looked at London ads, because uh, the London postcodes, the zip codes, uh, you know, I suppose it's true of uh, any big city, really. Uh, there are kind of upmarket uh, zip codes and downmarket zip codes, and you never ever saw downmarket ones, but you often saw upmarket ones. Really, oh, just that's little subtle things like that, and 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 most of the time you wouldn't even notice it. It took us a long time to realise that that was what was happening. Uptown, cabby. When you're showing people vignettes and you're like, "Here's Jim, here's Fred." This is what kind of kiss they are. How do you determine what a good kisser is? Because I think anyone who's dated more than one person has kissed a good kisser and has been subjected to a bad one. <laughs> like, how do you determine that? Uh, we, uh, we, we carefully try to avoid it. We just left it up to the imagination of the, the subjects, right? I guess in these kind of things, you are trying to elicit people's natural responses. So if you're too specific, often that just doesn't give them the freedom of imagination for themselves. Mm -hmm. So you have to leave it up to them to write their own like romance novel. In their yes, heads. yes. So Dr. Dunbar mentioned a wonderful Austrian anthropologist, Carl Grammer, whose career has been spent doing observational studies of courtship behavior of humans by gathering data, going to a disco, if you will, and watching and taking note of how people are interacting. And I was like, no, people don't do this. And Dr. Dunbar was like, yes, they do. He's done it. He's done science in the club. I mean, we've done stuff in nightclubs on dancing mm -hmm. and on conversations, and, and those have all been done on, on smartphones. Smartphones just a computer, basically, isn't it? So you mm -hmm. can load upload software that you would normally have on a iPad or something like that. And, and, you know, you can just press buttons and everything gets recorded. So, so you're coding data sets, but it looks like you're just like yeah, texting. Text. Ooh. And, and you're really sneaky. boring because you're just sitting in the corner sending texts. So yeah. why, why would you want to go and ask them for a text? <laughs> oh my God. Um, now, what about long-term partners? Do people kind of stop kissing after a while? Should they continue kissing? Or once they've sized someone up and they've decided to be with them, are they still sniffing each other? Yes, I think so. Um, I think that has to be true. I mean, I suppose when you get incredibly old, maybe not, or maybe you do. I don't know. I haven't got there yet. But, <laughs> uh, but also, you know, kissing and smell tell you a lot about somebody's health. Mm. Um, and that's kind of important too. And, you know, sort of, that's actually one of the cues that people who worked on that side of things, um, have really shown are, are quite important. You, you know, it's kind of grossly obvious, you know, somebody has got bad breath, you head for the bar as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, you don't, you don't want to be with them. And, it, you know, it's because, you know, it's kind of indicative of, uh, general physical health as much as anything. So you tend not to want, unless you're an angel in disguise, anxious to look after the, you know, the sort of second thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, side note. I'm sorry. I have to tell this story. Once a long-term boyfriend ordered a cream of roasted garlic soup at our favorite restaurant. This was probably 15 years ago. I still remember 
how searingly painful it was to smell him for at least a week after. It wasn't his fault. You know what? I just looked up the restaurant. I had to. One Yelper wrote about this soup, quote, I thought I would be in heaven, but a demon from hell came knocking. The garlic was so intense, I literally kept wondering if I had ingested Drano. That restaurant is now closed. R.I.P. you. Now, other causes of halitosis, in case you're wondering, that could ruin your smooch game. Dry mouth, which also causes morning breath, barf. Gum infections, diseases such as some cancers, intestinal infections, acid reflux, or having a foreign body, such as a piece of food lodged in the nostril, which is a good indicator that maybe you don't want to trust this person with your babies. Whatever. When you're looking for a romantic partner, it's kind of not ideal for them. Right. Now, why do you think we're not utterly repulsed by kissing, given how dangerous it could be from like a viral or bacterial standpoint? Um, That's because I think in the past, even the relatively close historical past, you didn't do these kind of things very often with people outside your community. Mm. Right. So it's part of the courtship and sexual activities that you engage in with uh, people in general. Most, pretty much most of that is confined to your community. So you all share the same diseases <laughs> <laughs> and have the immunities to them, right? Mm-hmm. You tend not to get kissing probably uh, being anything like as common uh, between people from different communities because usually that means they've just you know uh, killed all your 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 males <laughs> and have, have sort of carried you off as as war booty yeah no thanks this is not an ideal relationship no so, so given that kissing is part of that kind of process of of courtship um leading up to 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 sex you know this is kind of probably not the ideal situation for you. So that means most of your kind of expectations really in your psyche is is built around the fact that this is all part of your little local community. And I think that's probably so hardwired in us now because that's you know, we've lived with that for literally millions of years. Yeah. Have people been kissing for millions of years or is it relatively recent? That is a, a, a complete unknown. We, we will never know because uh, it doesn't. It's not the sort of thing that gets fossilized. It's very hard to say. I mean, I think most of these behaviours we have, you can kind of trace back to um, their primate origins in some form, and primates will do these things. So things like laughter. You know, we share laughter with great apes, but it's slightly different the way we do it. Um, and in turn, that laughter, the, the, the vocalization, this sort of pant-like vocalization we give when we laugh, is really the old world monkey play vocalization. Mm-hmm. It's a play invitation. <laughs> and, and it's just been sort of exaggerated and, and, and kind of ritualized progressively leading up to, to the way we use it now. Um, so it, it's, uh, you know, most of our, our kind of behaviors have those sort of obvious origins in, in something primates do. And that's true of something like kissing. I think it's done much more extensively mm-hmm. by us. I mean, even even the 
bonobos, the, the so-called pygmy chimpanzees from the Congo, who are the kind of um, uh, less aggressive and more uh, friendly chimpanzees, if you like. Bonobos, by the way, are the sexy, horned-up, free-spirited monkeys. Kind of like your friend who comes to brunch in a loose sundress with no bra. And you're like, good for you, girl. That's inspiring. Mm-hmm. And, and are the only species of any species, uh, of, certainly of monkeys and apes anyway, or of mammals, that have uh, copulate face-to-face rather than uh, front-to-back, as it were, mm-hmm. in the way that all other animals do. Um, even they don't engage in huge amounts of kissing. They do a little bit, but it's it's not. Then nobody's in the human league. Wow, because bonobos are known as the most amorous, really, of the. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, but it's for that reason, you know. It's because they 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 have face to face copulation, and that's really very rare. Then their behavior is really weird. They have sex with everybody. You know. Oh, yeah, I've heard. It's like Burning Man over in yes. Camp Bonoma. Well, well, it's worse because you know, it's Burning Man with children. It's <laughs> a good point. It's terrible. <laughs> um, yeah. I have some questions from listeners. Can I ask you? Yes. Okay, but before we get to your questions, Ologies patrons from patreon.com slash ologies, a dollar a month gets you in the club. A few quick words from sponsors of the show who make it possible for us to donate to a charity of the ologists choosing each week. And Dr. Denbar's grandmother was a Los Angelino, and he asked that we find and donate to a charity locally, which helps seniors. And so a donation this week went to ALA, which is Affordable Living for the Aging, which provides affordable housing and supportive services and alternate housing options for low-income and formerly unsheltered seniors. They even help match Senior roommates! How amazing is that? ALA gives seniors in Los Angeles secure home environments and the affordable housing they need and deserve. So that donation was made in Dr. Dunbar's honor, and it was made possible by sponsors, who you may hear about now. What do you get for the mom who birthed you into the world? I know, a candle. Are you like, no, that's not quite enough. How about memories that she'll love looking at every day? Aura frames? I love them. So they're a digital photo frame. They were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and by me. And Aura frames are Wi-Fi connected. You can add unlimited photos and videos, and you can invite as many people as you want to the frame. There are absolutely no hidden fees. There's no subscriptions. You can also react with cute emojis if you'd like, and you can show you love a photo. You can send congratulations or more. It's so wonderful that A, it's not a candle and also it's not sharing your photos on social media to look at it's just there you can share it with the people who you love i have mentioned this so many times but my parents have an aura that i got them my dad loved that i have gotten aura frames for friends for family members for family members of friends so i'm a really big fan of them i love what they do and right now aura has a great deal for mother's day listeners can save on perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best selling frame. So that's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use the code ologies at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. I love these things. 
This podcast and my life is brought to you by Squarespace. Do you know that I didn't have a website for forever because I was putting it off because I was scared? And then I heard another podcast talk about Squarespace. I was like, I'm going to give it a shot. I had a website up that day. They have beautiful templates. They host. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Look at me. Even I did it. You can sell products. You can sell your time. They have this guided design system. It's called Squarespace Blueprint. You can select from a layout. There are styling options. You can get your website discovered with these integrated, optimized SEO tools so people find you when they Google. They also have easy-to-use payment tools, so checkout, very easy for customers, which is what you want. There's also Squarespace AI, which can help you explain what your site is about. You can choose your tone. Whether you're a scientist who wants to share your work with the world, whether you are starting up a business selling tiny paintings of tiny books, or a choreographer selling dance classes, head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash ologies to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. I recommend it to all my friends, even when I'm not recording an ad. Okay. Oh, Kiwiko. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allie's love you. Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kid busy. Kiwi goes like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clay projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. Oh, hi, it's me, the lady that checks a bunch of scholarly articles before she believes anything. Allie Ward. And I feel like we are similar in that we have a fair amount of skepticism and we like to dive deep and find out what the actual facts are. This is why when it comes to any kind of supplements, I enjoy Ritual, which is a female-founded B Corp, meaning that they're holding themselves accountable to not just the company, but also to the health of people in our planet. And they're clinically backed essential for women 18 plus multivitamin has these high quality, traceable key ingredients in bioavailable forms that are clean. Only about 1% of supplement brands are USP verified and Ritual is one of them. So I like being able to trust what I'm putting in my body. From an aesthetic standpoint, I'll also tell you that Ritual are beautiful little vitamins. They look like lava lamps and they taste like mint. So taking my Ritual is part of my, I guess, morning ritual. I, that's probably why they named it that and I didn't even think about it. Anyway, no more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. So get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash ologies. You can start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash ologies for 25% off. Down the hatch. Okay, your questions open wide for some answers. Renee Jennings, who's a first-time question asker, asks, we usually associate kissing with romance, but what is going on with the European way of greeting people with a kiss on each cheek? Do we know where that came from? Oh, that's just standard, and Maori nose rubbing. Oh! 
right? You're just you're just sniffing, really. I mean, it's, we kind of do it. Well, I mean, a lot of the Europeans don't even do a sort of smacky kiss sound. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, it's just a you know head on one side, head on the other side, and you know, if, if you really call cool, it's three times minimum. You know. Um, but it, it really is just getting in close enough to, to be able to breathe in the spirit of the other person mm-hmm. and see who they really are. And people do it with babies. I mean, women especially do it with babies. You can see and they pick babies up and uh, bring, up, bring them up to their face. And, 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 and I've heard women say, I just love the smell of ba- newborn babies. Yeah. You know, and you go, oh, yeah. <laughs> You're just checking out who this is. Come on. Oh, so I guess dogs do it on the other end and humans do it on the face? Yeah, yes. And that's very primate I mean, monkeys, particularly old world monkeys and apes, uh, are fascinated by each other's babies and they're forever picking them up and uh, and nuzzling them and sniffing them and, and checking out. Basically, that's just checking out, you know, are you in my family or the other family? Mm-hmm. Oh, and side note, Swedish researchers found that the scent of dirty baby hats released dopamine in study participants, kind of like drugs would. And now they're looking into making a baby head nasal spray to treat depression. But what is the smell that we're huffing off of a baby? Is it old milk? Is it new skin? Is it promise? Hope? Nope. It's something called pretty. And according to the internet, it comes from the vernix caseosa, which is the whitish, cheese-like substance that coats a newborn's skin at birth. Okay, so it is a little cheesy to want to smell a newborn. Also, patron Alyssa asked about kissing newborns and giving them diseases, and I looked this up, and an article on babyology said that if you have a cold sore, don't kiss a baby. Also, just probably don't kiss any babies if they're not your babies, because you could be asymptomatic of so many things. Also, wash your hands before you touch a baby. Now, if it's your own baby, I don't know what to tell you. It's your baby. You do what you like. I kiss my dog's face constantly, and I love her disgusting, musky bullion breath. It's like a drug. So gross. So precious. Jess Swan asked, is it more common to close eyes when kissing, or is it different in different cultures? Um, This, that, I have no experience with this. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So Dr. Dunbar said, in his observation, women tend to close their eyes more. And some research suggests that this is because of input overload. So in order to concentrate on tactile senses, you might have to just throw visuals offline. Just eyes, I'm going to put you on pause for a minute. Mouth is driving this boat. If you close your eyes, you won't know, will you? No. (laughs) Boys boys tend not to. Really? That's interesting. I have no idea whether that's peculiar to kind of Western kind of European culture, as it were, or whether that's true of other cultures elsewhere in the world. Huh. Um, there are a ton of people who asked if there is a scientific term for French kissing and why is the French that kiss this way? Even I believe in long, slow, deep, soft, wet kisses that last three days. I don't know whether it's the same term is used in any language other than English. It may just have been the English being rude about the French. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I thought that might leave some of you horny for answers. So on behalf of patrons Anna Elizabeth, Ruby Johnstone, Vic Rhea Wilson, Vince Alasha, Anna Valerie, Hannah Black, Elle McCall, Heather Densmore, Caitlin Berger, Audrey Weber, Bennett Gerber, Rachel Ames, Haley Everson, Robert O'Neill, and Kristen Hine, I looked up 
kissing doula francaise and sloppy tongue kissing, aka tonsil hockey, and it came to be known as Frenching from World War I soldiers who returned from Europe and they were kissing on their spouses in a way that they thought mirrored the lusty ways of the sexually liberated French. And the French are like, what are we going to call it? Us kissing? No. And after decades of calling it a lover's kiss or to kiss with the tongues, clunky at best, finally in 2014, they have an official included in the dictionary term. It's galoche which takes its name from an ice skate because it's all slippery. Hopefully it's not that cold. Also, escargot, also slippery, already taken. Although most cultures kind of kiss on the lips, as it were, I, I don't know that um, uh, all cultures around the world necessarily engage in, in sort of, uh, you know, tongue kissing, as it were. Yeah. Hmm. I, I mean, I feel like the French have kind of made out well with it. I mean, I feel like it's yeah. ended up being a boon. Um, what about, some people asked why they might not like kissing. Are there people who just aren't really into it? I think it probably depends on how tactile you are. So people differ on a kind of dimension of attachment in what's known as the attachment scale. I mean, they have several dimensions to the attachment scale, but essentially they're measuring your warmth and coolness in your personal relationships with other people. So, you know, at the hot end, you know, this is all very kind of Italianate and, you know, people are always putting their arms around you and giving you big hugs all the time. Mm-hmm. And then there are kind of at the, at the cool end, you know, this is the, the uh, you know, uh, don't touch me, I'm British, you know, <sighs> dimension distinguishes between people who have a high density of endorphin receptors in the brain, a low density. So it's like people who have a low density, yeah, people who have a low density of endorphin receptors fill those up very quickly with a small amount of physical contact. Oh, side note, April is National Autism Awareness Month, and some folks on the autism spectrum have varied sensory sensitivities. So, for example, some researchers think a light touch might feel uncomfortable because different nerve fibers carry different types of touch. So touch with pressure is carried really fast via type A nerve fibers, whereas light stroking types of touch moves more slowly across those C tactile fibers Dr. Dunbar mentioned earlier, and it registers in emotional centers of the brain. So some folks on the autism spectrum report that kissing feels like sensory overload. Others say that light touch is uncomfortable. Others are perfectly fine with both and enjoy both. It's very individual and the research is ongoing. But Dr. Dunbar notes that a partner's sensitivity is always something to consider. One of the common features of autism is you really don't like physical contact. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's really disturbing for you. Um, this is this is this is not a difference between the sexes per se. This is this is sort of just different styles of sociality. And, but at the end of the day, um, I, the question I, I, I'm kind of inclined to ask is how many people have you kissed? Right? Most of us have not kissed vast numbers of people. So the likelihood of kissing somebody who doesn't match your style and requirements is pretty high. I think you have to, you know, get through 
an inordinate number of them in uh, in order to kind of go, no, no, this one's a good one. So statistically speaking, you know, mm-hmm. there's a fair chance that, you know, the first, I don't know, 30 or whatever, let's say, uh, uh, turn out to be unsuitable from your point of view. They may be perfectly suitable to other people. But, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's just bad luck, I'm afraid. <laughs> Bad luck, but good germs. Now, a ton of patrons, including Heather Densmore, Allie Smith, Kristen Don Urban, and first-time question askers, Gina Viato, Hannah C., Charlotte, and Vespa Clerks asked, in Vespa's words, is it true that kissing might have originated to share immunities between partners, or was I lied to? So they wanted to know about microscopic makeout exchanges. If you kiss more people, would you have a stronger microbiome? Uh, you're certainly exchanging. I mean, exchanging microbiome constantly with you know every time you contact physically uh, 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 touch somebody so um, you know and obviously much more is being exchanged uh, through kissing so the answer is yes and people who live come live together and from the same family um, tend to have much more similar microbiomes mm-hmm. you know, your microbiome has turned out to be much more important for you than anybody ever imagined yeah. it affects yeah. your health it affects your uh how you develop psychologically as a child cognitively it affects you know your psychological balances as, uh, as an adult you know. for more on this see the microbiology episode from november 2018 with dr elaine Shaw, wherein we learned that 90 percent of our serotonin is made in our sloshy squishy pooey guts so if you're in a bad mood and have a bug up your butt it might just be because you don't have the right bugs up your butt. Yeah, so your partner can literally rub off on you. Yes, your friends do terrible things to you. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's some very nice research that was uh, by some guys who are then at Harvard, both of them have moved on now, um, showing that, you know, your your likelihood of becoming depressed or becoming happy, uh, giving up smoking, becoming obese, Etc. Etc. Almost anything you care to look at was determined by whether your friends, your the people you you sort of spent most time with, were in that state or not. So if they, you know, if, if your three nearest closest friends were happy, you were much more likely to become happy. You know, in a year's time, because if they got depressed, you were going to get not just your microbiota that you're uh, spreading around the place; it's your psyche as well. Ooh. So not only can your invisible critters be contagious, but your big moods are too. How? Why? So I checked this out, and I found a paper by UC San Diego and Harvard researchers titled, quote, Dynamic Spread of Happiness in a Large Social Network, Longitudinal Analysis Over 20 Years in the Framington Heart Study, which read, quote, Emotional states can be transferred directly from one individual to another by mimicry and emotional contagion, perhaps by the copying of emotionally relevant body actions, particularly facial expressions, so people can catch emotional states they observe in others over time frames ranging from seconds to weeks. So for example, the study continued, students randomly assigned to a mildly depressed roommate became increasingly depressed over a three-month period. Although, silver lining, happiness is more contagious than sadness. Now, the study went on to say that the relationship between people's happiness extends up to three degrees of separation. For example, to the friends of one friend's friends. 
that's halfway to Kevin Bacon. So other studies on friendship and happiness report that loneliness can be toxic. So in this weird, unprecedented time of self-isolation, just try to take time to chat with friends online or FaceTime or Zoom them or scream at your neighbor from over a fence 40 feet away. Talk to the birds or your cat. So if you are feeling lonely, just know you're not alone in any way. A few people, Rachel Weiss and Zoe Jane, wanted to know if you had a good first kiss story. My God, that was before the dinosaurs went extinct. (laughs) I can't even remember what it was like. Uh, Mine was very slobbery. I remember being like, "Mm, I don't think that's how that's supposed to go. (laughs) I was 16, black hair, combat boots, fully goth and very unaware of technique. Also, I was so nervous, I kept gulping air, and then I burped in his face. Sorry, high school boyfriend. I'm sure that's all our first experiences. <laughs> Does everyone... Uh, Jessica Jansen wants to know, um, because you're an expert at behavior and court, you know, courtship and kissing, does everyone think you're an expert at at kissing? Is that expected of you? Well, I'm still waiting to be asked. (laughs) One day, Dr. Dunbar, one day. (laughs) So despite his wealth of published papers on the subject, this man will not kiss and tell. He is a fortress of make-outery. It's admirable. It's frustrating, but it is admirable. Any movies or TV shows that have had really spot-on or really terrible courtship or kissing scenes? Off the top of my head, uh, uh, it's kind of hard hard to answer. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I still think, in the end, probably the most brilliant piece of relationship stuff ever written was Friends. No! Ah! I mean, <laughs> so, so acute. You know, it's, it's in the sort of uh, uh, Jane Austen uh, level of kind of observation of of people's foibles and, and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And in a funny sort of way, even the, uh, oh, crikey, I can't think of the, 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 the program now. Um, uh, it's the science one. Oh, Big Bang Theory? Big Bang Theory, mm-hmm. right? It, it just the dynamics of how the guys work together, uh, in that is so acute, you know, it's, it's, the writing of that and the observation of, of just human behavior is as good as their observation, the writers, the script writers, understanding and, and, uh, and writing on the science. And, you know, and they do some of the most extraordinarily good science popularization as probably, you know, the cream of the cream. At the same time, their, 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 their human, you know, kind of dynamics are just, Beautiful to watch, and it's marvelous. Just want to say a quick hello to Big Bang Theory showrunner and young Sheldon co-creator Steve Malaro, who is himself an ologite. Hey, Steve. What's up? Hey. Also, for folks who have seen both Friends and The Big Bang Theory, does anyone feel like those two apartments connected by a landing kind of share a vibe? I always did. And out of curiosity and poor time management, I just looked it up. And Friends and The Big Bang Theory... Are you ready for this? Had the same production designer, a guy by the name of John Schaffner. He was also responsible for the iconic rattan sofa and Floridian ease of the Golden Girls set. He had a great job and he did a great job. Anyway, moving on. 
the last questions I always ask are, what what do you hate about your work the most? What's the most annoying thing about your job or about research? What's just, what's um, the worst? Well, re- re- research is always hard work, mm-hmm. right? So collecting data is extremely tedious. goes on for, you have to do it for hours and hours and hours and stuff. Uh, that's the sort of one of the downsides of it. It, it's a kind of benefit that what you're watching is something that itself is entertaining. Mm-hmm. But I think the real uh, irritating side of it is just trying to get stuff published because, you know, the, you know, you're having to deal with people who seem not to live on this planet when you try and publish your beautiful new data. And often it's because it's left field for them. And I kind of, um, in a way, because of where we work, which is, you know, on, on human behavior and social evolution, in, in mammals in particular, you just sometimes wonder whether it, these people have relationships. <laughs> <laughs> and what about uh, what about your favorite thing about it? Oh, it's just such fun, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, it really is. And, and also, I mean... You know, it's a sort of curiosity thing about, about how other people behave. But on the other hand, it's really like sitting in front of an enormous jigsaw puzzle because if you're dealing with social evolution, you're not just dealing with some tiny little gene that does, uh, you know, when it works, does this, and when it doesn't work, doesn't do this. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with these complex interactions between genetics, physiology, behavior, ecology, history, relationships of the moment, uh, the brain doing stuff up there. There's all this massive, great kind of jigsaw puzzle going on in front of you, and you sort of fiddle away a bit down in this corner, and then you do a bit in that corner, and then gradually the whole picture suddenly kind of appears in front of you. And well, you know, perhaps literally one day, everything suddenly seems to fall into place, and you just go, wow, that is amazing. So you get to have these these real breakthroughs when all the data fits. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, so, and that, especially when it, it is no obvious reason why two bits of data should fit together. Mm-hmm. But when you actually look at them from the right angle, as it were, suddenly you go, oh, actually, they do. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That aha moment, finally at last. It's almost like when you find someone that you actually fall in love with, I'm sure. Um. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you know, us scientists are just in love with our data, that's all. <laughs> and what about the work that you've done uh, on social relationships? Do you think that it's made your relationships better in your life? <sighs> or do you look too closely at them? <laughs> it, it, in, in some ways, maybe, because... You kind of have to have to think about relationships and why people are behaving in a certain or responding in a certain way. Um, but also, there is a sense in which the less you know, the better. Right? <laughs> yeah. Because these things, you know, if you know too much, you try and do it, uh, force it, mm-hmm. and then it doesn't work. Right. <laughs> the, the most important thing about uh, relationships in the end is just going with the flow and, uh, uh, and letting it take its own course and it'll work and it'll work naturally. And this is why I get very, very irritated 
with uh, mostly guys who come to me with uh, got a new app for uh, uh, improving people's relationships, you know, and usually it's just reminding you when their birthdays are and things like that, or how long, and, and, and would you be involved? And I go, no way. This, this is a completely pointless exercise because, you know, if you try and put in all those kind of artificial uh, uh, memory things, it's just going to screw the whole thing up. Because mm-hmm. in the end, the relation, your relationship with somebody is about your wanting to be there with them, not, oh, God, it's Monday and I haven't, I haven't said hello yet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so true. Oh, well, thank you so much for all of the work that you've done. I, it's nice to know that people can just sniff each other, slobber, and then relax. See what happens. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but don't do it with strangers. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for doing this. I hope this wasn't too painful. I so appreciate your time. I know how so you're so busy. And I just, I realize that I fully begged you. So thank you for doing it. You did. You did. Okay. No, your pleasure. My pleasure. Well, get some sleep. Thank you for staying up late. <laughs> okay. Very good. Bye. 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 So find smart people and gently beg them to hang out on Skype and ask them stupid questions for the greater good of relationships everywhere, including mostly right now in your homes. Thank you to everyone who is sheltering in place right now. You are literally saving lives. Thank you. Links to Dr. Dunbar's TED Talk and books are up on my website at alleyward.com slash ologies slash Philematology. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And we are at ologies on Instagram and Twitter. I'm Allie Ward with one L on both. So let's be internet friends, shall we? Also, bleeped episodes for kids are free on my website, alleyward.com. Thank you to former intern, now employee Caleb Hatton for working on those. Also, free transcripts, including of super recent episodes, are up on my site. Thank you so much to professional transcriber Emily White for heading up a volunteer army of transcribers to work on those. And I'm going to shout out a few of them right now because they so deserve it. Thank you, transcribers Lauren Fenton, Deb Ward, Katie Coast, Mickey McGrath, Hannah Dent, Emily Dawn, Aska Dajika, Enrique Aringa, and Lisa Zahn and Florence Yuan for working on the transcribing guide. And of course, OG old timers, Mike Melchior and Wendy Fick. Y'all have been doing it since the beginning. So thank you all for making those episodes accessible to deaf and hard of hearing ologites and for people who just want to look up what we may have said. Y'all are amazing. And thank you to Aaron Talbert for adminning the Ologies Podcast Facebook group and being a pal since we were four. I love you. Thanks, Shannon Feltis and Bonnie Dutch of the comedy podcast You Are That for managing ologiesmerch.com. They are sisters. They're hilarious. Thank you to assistant editor Jarrett Sleeper of the mental health podcast My Good Bad Brain. He also does quarantine calisthenics on Instagram Live at noon Pacific every day, sometimes in full character of gold prospectors or leprechauns. He's a delight. Thank you to lead editor and host of the kitty-themed Percast and the Dinopod, see Jurassic Right, Stephen Ray Morris, for stitching these episodes together and keeping the ologies trains running on time. You are among the finest of audio engineers. Toot toot. I'm lucky to have you. So Nick Thorburn of the band Islands wrote and performed the theme music. And if you listen to the very end, you know I tell you a secret issue. This week, I wasn't sure where to pop this in and aside, but I need to get it off my chest. I need someone to do us all a solid hop on Wikipedia and change the entry for something that rhymes with schmeskamo schmiss. Because number one, that E word is considered a slur by a lot of indigenous circumpolar people and Inuit folk. And also because 
the Wikipedia image of the people doing it are two white folks and it was uploaded from Texas. So can we get that changed? Okay, second secret. I have made out with two like semi-celebrities and they were the worst kissers of my life ever, ever. This is years apart. Just a tongue in your mouth like a woodpecker. Just beep, 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 beep. And you're like, what? How has no one told you that's not good? Anyway, obviously short-lived. One of them put his tongue in my ear in a restaurant. That was the last time I saw him. Let me tell you. No bueno. So before you get all moony-eyed at Harry Styles or Brad Pitt, just know, number one, neither of they, those weren't the guys. But you never know, man. Just because someone's a total fox does not mean they know how to use their mouth. Whew. Yikes. Wow. I am kissing and I'm telling, but I'm not telling all of the information, so I feel like it doesn't count as a kiss and tell. Anyway, if you're in lockdown and you're missing people and smooches, just think about the 80 million bacteria that you're not getting in your mouth. Also, think of all the people who are breaking up because they have to live together so much. Gonna be a lot of single people after this. And then there's gonna be a lot of smooching. Just saying. Okay, bye-bye. Pachydermatology, homeology, cryptozoology, lithology, nanotechnology, meteorology, If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.